that story. Other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. I wonder if this is what normal people feel like. Well, like Eleanor Roosevelt said, well-behaved women rarely make history. And nothing says mental health um, cast live like, say, starting with, I drank a whole bottle of wine. Hey, everybody. Why are you not talking? Hey, everybody. Welcome oh. back to Bipolar Girl <laughs> Podcast, where we're, heard, <laughs> where we're heard in over 70 countries worldwide. Thank you very much for being a supporter, uh, at least through listening. We do this as a community service in order to help tell hashtag stories over stigma. Thanks, Coach P. McCallie, for that one. Uh, we are absolutely enjoying ourselves with another incredible season of interviews with everyone from experts to advocates to people who are living it daily. I am here with my wife, Rebecca Jean McDowell. Why don't you go ahead and say something, honey? This is your show. Shoot, I don't know why I'm talking. Because you always talk in the beginning. I can't hear myself. There yeah, we go. I can't hear you either. There we go. Oh, here we go. Uh, so, um, yeah, this has been. It's kind of weird that we're only doing every two weeks. I um. I th- I think it, I I don't know how I feel about that. What every two weeks? Every two weeks It's weird because I'm used to doing it every week. I think oh, the thing I like about every two weeks, and I, I like it because it shows in the analytics, what it allows people to do to, is actually get caught up and feel and not feel so overwhelmed. Oh. And when we were, I mean, we could crank out content. We were man. I mean, we crank it out. I yes. mean, we crank it out like well before people can even could even listen to it but what i noticed was even it started in the first season what i noticed it was that every time we when we did skip for some other reason our numbers actually increased i was like well so that so that makes sense so after watching it for three four seasons now i'm like well if we give them an extra week our numbers go up and sure enough this time you know it you know the numbers have gone up and uh that's crazy yeah i know it's pretty crazy that's crazy well it's easier right that's for sure well yeah because life gets in the way we have too much to do with kids <laughs> teenagers preteens all of them moody as heck and all and some days you never know what you're going to get no no you don't so right. that's good that's so how, good. how was your week it was eventful so um what was it last week? I had like the whole meltdown because I had an anxiety attack and yep. it was just awful. And so then I talked to um, the doctor and he upped the Velar. Yep. Um, so I was just on the therapeutic dose and now I'm one step above that. So and far, so good. So far, so good. I mean, you know, it's like a part of it too is your like rhythms, right? It goes up and down and you just never know like, you know, you never know when it might hit you. Yeah. You know, and and, and that's, you know, and, you know, I just have to talk about my life too. And I can't get into Nobody the details. You, no one cares. First <laughs> of all, no one, no one really cares. But like, you it's know, about me. For all my caregivers out there, you know, giving care to someone with mental illness, like when you're trying to juggle work, life, kids, everything else, family, you know, you know, you might get your mother who may call and say, 
Um, not my mother though, right? But you may get a mother who calls and says, you haven't come to see me. You haven't talked to me. And I'm like, do you know what I'm dealing with at home? I'm balancing, you know, people in the workplace because I got to navigate and then I got to come home and some days and navigate. And navigate. Do you know, like, when does, when does Steven get to like, cry me a whiver and everyone actually goes oh honey on like, the podcast right and that's on the podcast like, it was like your mother <laughs> said like you know cry me a whiver honey you know <laughs> oh yeah because she you know she's yeah. so she's so sympathetic. sympathetic to the plight you know and it's just like like all in all i'm just like yeah like there's a lot to navigate in life and then like last week at dinner you know, so we took we took our family out. We decided we let's go to dinner. We almost, you know, my oldest has been complaining about. We about, went to dinner. Went to dinner, and I don't want to get into it too much, but I learned because he doesn't like us to talk to about talk about him on the show, especially because he goes all over the world, and his girlfriend in Poland is listening to, and she's the one that tells him that we're talking about them. She's like the spy. She's and, a rat. Yeah, she gives the intel. <laughs> you know who you are, Miss Poland. You rat. You're supposed to be on our side, but anyway, like. Uh, she is so funny because, you know, I learned that sometimes, and I'll just put it this way, and this is a good lesson and a life and life lesson, and mm-hmm. is that sometimes the perception of others that you're interacting with are not readily aware and understanding of your reality. It's their reality, and they're bringing stuff to the table. And so is my 17 year old, and I have to remember and put myself in check. You know, you know, when you when you say you have to sometimes sit back and analyze and self-assess what you may have done to cause a particular situation, because it never happens in a vacuum. It's never just one person, even with mental illness. It's not it's it's usually mental illness that the, the caregiver is is tangling with or tangoing with. It's never really like it's never just, you know, just it happens out of the blue. I had to learn that with teenagers at dinner last week. I'll just leave it right there. Just, yeah, it was, he it was like humbling. Talk about it. it was humbling as a as a parent. It was humbling. I will say that. Anyway, so what else is going on? So how are you feeling better on the, a bump in medication? Well, it's only been two days. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see. You're looking good. I tell you, you always look good. Well, uh, yeah, according to you. Yeah. Well. apparently according to a lot of people out there you know luckily i'm not a jealous person i walk down the street you know got dudes breaking their neck women too good i mean you know i would i appreciate the women more than the men you know i don't appreciate any of them all of them will keep their like spirits to themselves you know you know (laughs) but it's one thing as a female it's one thing if a girl notices you it's another thing if a man notices you because you're like oh men little girl (laughs) go notice your man that's the way I feel about it. Go notice your man <laughs> or whoever you in. Go notice that. Take your spirits over there with your peoples. Anyway, I um let's see, we're at about we have a couple more minutes for in events. Is there anything like is happening in the world that may have like impacted your life that might impact the whole community of folks with mental illness? Not that I have read. You know, Not mi- that I have read, no. Okay. Um, you know, and that's the way it is. But what I am very excited about is that. You know, my job allows me to build relationships with elected members. And let me tell you, there's a lot of federal earmarks now for mental health. Yes, that's exciting. Yes. And people are really getting serious about it, especially here in Maryland and all over the country. People are getting serious about it. Yeah, it's no longer a buzzword that elected officials just use. Mm -hmm. Like, they're actually 
doing mm-hmm. at least in our area they're mm-hmm. actually doing things mm-hmm. about it rather than just talking you know what and a shout out because i paid I, I played you the clip of mayor adams in new york city who went away for the weekend and the press like kirked out like freaked out like it was a what captain was kirk moment what did he, say? He, he said i'm not going to i'm not going to apologize for my needing to take capacity. care of my mental capacity that's right and Not you know, his mental health, his mental capacity. Mayor, Mayor Adams, if you are listening, listening, anyone on your cabinet listening, high five and kudos to you for that. That pivot. was awesome. I sat here. That was brilliant. That was a genius response for so many reasons that only people in politics and communications completely understand, and uh, or people married to people who are do- like, listen, my mental capacity. Yeah, I like that. You know what? I like that because that that's not going to be on the on on, on the headline on the news. No, it won't be. No, 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 it's not going to be. And you know what? And I'm with the mayor. The mayor has a right to, to like if if my, the mayor is going to be effective. Uh, I think any human being, he's indicative of every human being with her big responsibilities. They have a right to go take a moment, two days to themselves. See, this is why I don't like doing two weeks because I forgot that we went to dinner. Oh, you forgot the dinner part? Yeah. Well, that's why you got me. Part. I'm just your extension. I'm your brain extension. Okay. That's okay. You no, said no, we went your, to dinner. And I'm I was not your, like, we went to dinner. I'm actually not your brain extension. I'm your memory extension. Because yeah, if I'm you rely on my brain, you're a person that can do math <laughs> without even a calculator and fingers. I have to use fingers and toes. So mm, it's uh, okay. Um uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into All right, it. so let's let let's get into this week. Uh um let me see. There we are. So this week we have an, an exciting show, right, honey? We yes. have um, we have uh, Jason, Jason uh, from Powell River, Canada, who runs Screen Therapy. Now, when Jason, no, that's Canada. It's, a, yeah, it's Canada, it's pod- by the way. It's a podcast. It's a podcast, and like, and seriously, when I saw it, I was like, dude, like, if I could get a scream room right now, because that's where I went. <laughs> that's where my brain went. My brain went. I need a scream room because I need to scream and tear up some stuff. I need to like take a big sledgehammer to some stuff. And um, so I'm so glad we were able to land this 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 conversation. Uh, Jason, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. How are you today? Thank you for joining the show. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. So tell us about your podcast. Well, the podcast is called Scream Therapy, and it basically came out of wanting to talk to folks in the punk scene who are dealing with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been into punk since I was a kid, and I always felt that there was a kinship there. Uh, amongst folks with mental health issues and I didn't realize that I was uh, dealing with that myself until I was in my mid-40s and had been part of the punk scene my whole life so basically I talked to different people in the punk scene whether it's musicians or experts or advocates and uh, we talk about mental health and punk rock and screaming you know (laughs) Jason I have to tell you when I lived in Southern California this was actually before I was married and lived in Southern California I went to a bar in Newport Beach and um, and actually I heard a reggae band it was the first time I ever knew that a mosh pit can consist of punk and reggae all at the same time (laughs) totally yeah skanking pogo dancing it's all there right see you have all the terminologies (laughs) I had no idea what you just said it's like all Greek to me like, that sounds good. Yeah. That so. sounds good. Of course. So you just said something that piqued my interest. You didn't realize that you were suffering with mental health issues until you were 40. And yeah. most of us find out in our early 20s. So ex- tell me about that. Well, yeah, I was 46 when I was diagnosed with bipolar and really didn't have any idea what I was dealing with. Actually, I never really knew what the, the word bipolar was except for 
you know, some people use it as a bit of a slur or whatever. Um, so, I, you know, I went through my whole life being a weirdo and a freak and just, you know, kind of embracing that and skateboarding and listening to punk and getting into trouble and being, you know, just a real rambunctious kind of a person and uh, started to have some really, really serious uh, stress stressors in my midlife and yeah, I ended up in the hospital and came out thinking, well, you know, let's, let's re-examine this, this whole journey I've been on. So let's let pause a little bit. Cause you talked about being like, just kind of like the weirdo. What do you mean by that? Well, I lived in a small town and I was one of only maybe five or six people who skateboarded, uh, who listened to punk rock and heavy metal. And we were treated uh, like freaks and we sort of adopted that term for ourselves and you know we were fine to be weirdos and freaks and you know and that was what we what we did we kind of claimed that and you know when i went to the big city and went to my first punk show i looked around and thought okay well here's where the freaks hang out you know i was so excited because i had found my found my people so that's very interesting and where exactly are you in canada um in terms of, you're in british columbia but like what are you closest to <laughs> are you on nothing, the western side nothing really nothing, nothing. Um, <laughs> nothing. i'm i'm north of vancouver uh about five hours it's a two ferries away so we're on we're on you know locked land on a peninsula Beautiful. Um, you know kind of a four-hour trip from victoria which is the capital of bc but you know mostly north of, of vancouver that's like the new place for celebrities to hang out right <laughs> yeah you know what we have some punk rock celebrities here in Tal river some some aging punks from from bands that were you know huge in the punk scene so tell us about your book, Scream Therapy, A Punk Journey Through Mental Health. Yeah, the book is uh, essentially my thesis for the MFA program I went through. And, you know, it's not that boring. Like, let's not <laughs> put the word thesis into too much too much <laughs> stock here. But uh, That sounds very smart, like really above my pay grade. <laughs> yeah, trust me, it's not. I'm a very creative writer. I always have been. I've uh, written about music for about 25 years, different music magazines. And I just really wanted to work on a full-length project. So it's all about my own life in the punk scene and with mental health. Uh, it kind of traces my whole, um, you know, my whole life from young to, to now. And also talk to a lot of folks in the punk scene, very much like the podcast, and getting their perspectives, their stories, having people from the mental health profession come in who are also punks. I found out that there's tons of punk rockers that are into, into mental health, uh, which is amazing. Um, and, you know, just talking about them in the book, their stories, and yeah, some really weirdo tour, tour stories as well in there. So it's, it's got a lot going on, but it's a, it's, it's very, it's a very much a narrative nonfiction. It's, it's, you know, it's like picking up a, a novel, but with real people in it. So why, why does the punk scene draw people with um, mental health issues, do you think? Or have you found out? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to find a place that's not you know, going to stigmatize you or talk down to you if you're feeling like mm -hmm. you've got issues. And I think the punk scene is just so open and inclusive and inviting. Uh, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about punk rock and, you know, you see it on TV and it's all a bunch of people smashing things. Uh, but really it's a very tight-knit community and it's accepting. And I think a lot of folks with mental health issues gravitated towards that because, you know, I mean, you're, you're dealing with mental health uh, issues and in, in a condition uh, where do you go? I mean, who do you, who do you, who are your people? You know, you can look at the support group community, which is great. I also involved with that, but as far as just getting that creative release and going out and having fun, I mean, there's not a lot of places where that's possible and, you know, go to a punk show and right away, you know, you know, that you're in a place that's uh, safe, really.
So, so, and, and, and I don't know if you have a follow-up mm -hmm. question because yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious about your youth then. So you are late in life diagnosis, but, but what were the signs like when you hit puberty or your teen years, your young adult years? Yeah. Like, can you go back and see you, signs of, of, yeah. of your illness? I'm not, I can't give you, I can't hypnotize you, but like if I get you to close <laughs> your eyes, can you journey <laughs> back 40 years ago? I can now. I don't think I could before I was diagnosed. I think that I was just running so hot and um, just didn't really know what my life really meant in the grand context of, of mental health. I mean, I always remember being, you know, going to punk shows all the time, just couldn't get enough, you know, doing zines, uh, you know, booking shows, uh, playing in bands. Like that was always a huge part of my life, but I didn't know why I gravitated to that versus you know, a sport or something. Okay, now, it's sidebar though, yeah. Jason. I'm if, sorry, that was our goose. If you heard our heard our goose in the <laughs> background, that, yeah. like it was like so everyone out she there. Was, she, she was very loud. I'm not sure very, what's wrong with her, like, but our oh, window was open. Either someone's gonna think it was a squeaking gate or something. I was like, <laughs> no, it was a goose. Yeah. All right. Goose it but is. Goose it's it 65 is. degrees in the Mid Atlantic region, so we have windows <laughs> open and uh, we're all paying yeah. for. It. But go ahead. I'm sorry, Jason. That's I okay. Digress. Yeah. No. Looking back, I can see it. You know. You know, with mania and depression, those those two factors are always there with with uh, bipolar. I mean, for most folks, I know it is for me. And right. you know, all the sort of rambunctious and and you know, over the line stuff I would do sometimes in my life. Um, you know, private stuff that I did that was really damaging to myself and other people. Um, you know, just being so manic about punk rock and going to so many shows and staying up and going in the mosh pit and being covered in bruises and, you know, just drinking way too much, like all these things that were part of my, my experience. Um, and then, you know, with the depression, it was like, okay, well, the show's over now. When's the next show? I'm just so depressed. Like nothing is cool in my life. So I see it now. Um, but it was such a part of my being, you know, all through my life until I was in my mid-40s as far as how I was, the person that I was and the things I did, that I didn't know what it was really an issue until I was diagnosed. And, you know, people sometimes would say, oh, hey, Jason's this, Jason's that. But I never thought it was more abnormal than just being like a freak and a weirdo and being a punk rocker. And mm -hmm. I didn't really key those two things together. Right. Yeah. Until now. Until now I know, right? Looking back. So I bet you when you were like manic, like, you know, when Rebecca gets manic, like everything is fun. Everything's fun. It's Everything a good time. Everything is fun. It's a good time. For sure it is. Yeah. And she'll say stuff like I'm 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 here for a good time, not a long time. I say, <laughs> you better go sit your butt down and relax somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, you know, the punk rock, you know, definitely gives you an injection of those endorphins too. You know, there's been times where I've gone to shows uh being depressed and it does lift me up. I mean, you know, this idea that, you know, um music that's really high impact and like screaming in your face kind of music is going to um, you know, really kind of jogged me out of that depression and, and it has, but when it's manic time, then it's like, okay, wait a second. Like how, how manic is this going to get? Like, mm -hmm. is it going to, is it going to calm me down? In fact, um, it does. Like that's the strange thing is the, the chaos and the fury of the punk rock actually does settle my nerves and does settle my mania. It gives me a focus and, and a reason. So interesting that it kind of works on both sides. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go. no, I was going to say, is that how you got through college? So you're a graduate of University of Keene's College, and you have a journalism uh, what a degree from Ling Lingara College. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how you got through, just like going in these manic moments and then just tearing it up, sleeping, for, or like then doing your homework all day, taking an exam, and then crashing for three days? 
you know what in journalism school it was i was also 19 <laughs> um, for king's college it was my master's program and I actually just finished last year okay. it's a totally different ball game with that i mean I, I i had to be very careful about you know how do i become inspired and creative when i am feeling down or how do i become you know a little bit more settled when i'm feeling manic i'm not going to write some manifesto about a imaginary punk band or something so you know kind of have to find that that balance and before i just you know i went a bit overboard but I also that's where my strength was in some ways you know if you find this really great creative creativity and that sweet spot between you know being stable and being hypomanic there's that little sweet spot there that you can really find your 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 groove and and that's what i would do with music writing over the years so you're relatively new in the bipolar world with your diagnosis because we're reading your bio and it says that you were diagnosed in 2018 so that's only like what five years mm-hmm, yep. so you're relatively new to bipolar at least knowing that you have bipolar. Yeah. And I'm not sure how it was with you, but I think when I was diagnosed, it just keyed in like a puzzle piece, you know, as like that turn of the lock, that perfect key. Oh, of course. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. This makes sense. You know, you go yeah. on the computer even and look at the checklist. Like, Oh my God, like every single thing on this checklist is completely me, <laughs> you know? So I think, yeah, I'm new to it as, as far as being diagnosed, but I, I do feel like I have been, subconsciously dealing with it my whole life. Yeah, it was definitely something when I was diagnosed. It was it was a word that I had never heard before. And so we went home and we started researching it. And you're right, you start looking at the checklist and everything else. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, if this is not me to a T, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell us about your uh, lovely wife. She's a caregiver. What has her experience been like? How long have you been married, first of all? Uh, we've been married since 2015 mm-hmm. and the depression that led up to the diagnosis and also the mania that led up to the diagnosis was incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult for her. Um, you know, you're in a relationship with somebody and, and they're, you know, going off the rails or, or just like stuck in bed or just completely miserable. It's very difficult. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really happy that in the last couple of years, I've been able to kind of move away from the idea of having a caregiver and a caregivee uh, mm-hmm. and and just being able to stand on my own and being more of a equal partner and you know not having to rely on her so much and that sense of you know being uh, able to do it on your uh, <clears throat> able to do it alone is just huge when there's been a time in my life you know back in 2018 it was like okay well I'm dust I'm not I'm, I'm like a pile of garbage I mean I can't do anything I can't even you know eat or whatever so it's been really good the last year and a half or so, two years where I've been able to really hold myself in a way that I feel like I'm, you know, in a relationship in, in a fair and balanced way, I guess, you know, there's dips and curves in the road. I don't want to say it's in any way perfect, but, you know, and, I, and I'm here to support her as well. Yeah, it kind of, when you're the one with mental illness in a relationship like that, it does get to that point where you feel like it's not fair and balanced, right? Like they're having to take care of you more than you take care of them. And it does feel a little lopsided. At least for me, it feels a little lopsided sometimes. Yeah. So you said that you um, help in the mental health community. What do you volunteer? What? Yeah, I volunteer. I um facilitate a bipolar support group actually here in BC. It's uh, province-wide and we have like 300 members. Uh, we only get about 25 to 30 each week at the meetings, but yeah, it's mm-hmm. just been really, really 
inspirational to see all these folks. It actually just got two emails before we came on here that people want to join the group. So uh, that's been really great. I do a bit of health coaching for mental health folks, people with mental health conditions. And then the thing I just started doing was crisis line responding, which is its whole other, you know, tough, uh, mm. challenging, rewarding volunteer work. I'm not sure I could. Oof, that's rough. Crisis yeah. line. Um, well, it was like that new app you just found. Yeah, the new app is kind of. Um, we talked about it on our last week's podcast, but there's a app called White Flag. We're actually going to have them on later, and it, it's basically a crisis line talking to somebody else with your same mental illness. Yeah, I heard you um, talking about that. I was fascinated. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm excited to have them on because I've been on it and it, it's really, it's a great app. Um, but I would think that a crisis line would almost be triggering. It has been to an extent. I think, you know, when I first was diagnosed, I thought that being around folks with conditions like mine would be really triggering. And in fact, it's actually been really um, enriching for me. Uh, the, the crisis line is a whole other level be just because you know it's, it's such a you know it's, it's such a hard thing to deal with for some folks but you know to be able to help somebody you know is really i don't know it's just such a great thing you know for both parties i think that mutual relationship and you know for the people that are really you know in the middle of a, a suicidal attempt i mean that's you kind of have to shut part of your brain off for that and just run through the run through the steps you know the mm -hmm. protocol and all that that's that's you really kind of get into a different a different mode but you know to listen and support is just huge for folks that are in crisis yeah i find that you know especially with the podcast like we've had people on who just wanted to be on just to talk and tell their story right like mm -hmm. not that they were in crisis but just to get it off their chest felt good for them yeah yeah i mean i think that's part of the journey is being able to get to a point to where you can really articulate what you're feeling because you know how it is when it's early on in in your journey remember you like it was hard to articulate feel your feelings feel your feelings i know my therapist tells me that all the time i hate it Scott, what's the, what does that mean feel your feelings that's, that's why i get so frustrated like are you asking me to grope my brain like i mean seriously i'm not even trying to find like what does that mean like what it means is that you need you need to acknowledge your feelings instead of just bypassing them and moving on with life. You need to acknowledge them. <sighs> yeah, or, or just distracting yourself or, or pushing it away or exactly. pretending it's not there. You know, that's a tough one though. Um, you know, I'm I'm getting better at it. It's it's not an easy one at all. I find it's very uncomfortable. Yes. But, you know, when you're in the middle of a mosh pit, you know, you're feeling what you're feeling. and well, uh, You're feeling you know. your feelings all right. <laughs> well, yeah. it was funny because um, as a kid, I wasn't necessarily in the punk rock scene, but I was definitely in the rock scene. And I had gone to several concerts with um, mosh pits. And Stephen didn't realize that there are like unspoken rules inside of mosh pit. Like he thought it was just balls to the walls and just go crazy which it, it is but there are also these unspoken rules inside them and he yeah. found that fascinating i find it fascinating because it just looks like a bunch of people elbowing and hitting each other <laughs> i you know for me it I, is and it isn't well i'm a dork i wear glasses i'm not getting in the middle of that like Here, here's your here's your test so go in the middle of a mosh pit yes well wait a sec so go in the middle of a mosh pit and then uh, pretend like you're tying your shoe 
and then see what happens. Uh, yeah. people I feel actually, like I get my booty whipped. No, like, no, no, people actually will come around you in a circle and protect you as you're. They would protect you. Really? Um, see, you fall me, down, they pick you back up. Right, that's part of it as well. And the reason that Carl is my older brother, the reason that Carl would always let me go into the mosh pit is because being a small female, like, yes, you'll bounce around and you'll get hit, but they're not like hitting you as hard as they can. It's just, it's actually, I like mosh pits. It's like a nice welcoming community, believe it or not. Yeah, well, depending on the show, though. If, you know, depending upon the show. Going to a mosh pit at like a Limp Biscuit show or something, that's going to just be hell on earth. But uh, yeah, definitely for punk bands, there's that unspoken that unspoken uh, etiquette. And, you know, you, you stage dive and people catch you or you crowd surf and they hoist you up. It's, it's a really cool thing. But in my mind, it's it, watching that is just kind of, you know, that, that personifies the punk scene you know, what it means. I mean, whether it's feeding people after the show or, you know, trading information or activism, it's all, it's such a great community to be part of. And it's also, you know, a, you know, it's about rec- reclamation, resistance. Like it's all these things that, you know, you can take on as, as your, as your identity. And I think it's, it's pretty amazing. Taking down tyranny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, you know, so that's excellent. So you wrote your book, and it's on pre-order right now, right? So it's not fully out. It's out on the first. Yes, okay, is it self-published? self-published? No, it's being published by Mansfield Press, which is out of Toronto. Oh. Uh, yeah, they they uh, bought the book, and I you know started sending it out there as soon as I was finished my manuscript at my, my uh, master's. And yeah, he's just a really great person to work with so far, and really excited to have it out. That's pretty incredible. Like, I totally want your autograph now. <laughs> I want I don't your do book. autographs. Punk rockers don't do autographs. Really? What do you do? Like, no, um, do you, 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 oh. I was like, well, you could kiss the book too with your lipstick because it's like what the black paint? Lip paint yes. Paint? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, I mean, I don't want to pigeonhole. Yeah. Don't pigeonhole. Yeah. I don't want to put a stereotype, the punk scene. Stereotype. One of my dear friends was a punk when I first went to college. She had her hair; she was pink, and I don't know. She did a lot of drugs and and and, and uh, lit candles, and then she believed in Wiccan, and then became a born again Christian and dropped everyone she knew. <laughs> That's you know? quite extreme. Yeah, I'm wearing a baseball hat, so there you go. Uh, okay. There's all kind of punks. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of extreme. <laughs> so, and and you know, in terms of your book, though, I mean, what do you hope to accomplish by? Uh, publishing this book i want people to see what community means and how it can support people with mental health conditions and it's not just about punk rock it's about you know the whole idea of support and not stigmatizing folks and you know being there for each other which i think is not necessarily reflected in mainstream society you know i mean subcultures like punk rock have their own you know their own unspoken code like I said, etiquette, but ultimately it's just places for people to be open with each other. And that's what I want people to understand and, and realize, you know, people that are into punk, they're going to enjoy the book as well. Cause it definitely talks about their, their scene, their, what sort of what their, their life maybe might look like. Um, but I really want to get it out there for folks that can see that community and support and, and belonging are such important things for folks with mental health issues. And it's one of the huge barriers for people um, to, uh, to feel stable and to feel, you know, like they belong in the world. 
That's awesome. That's so incredible. I'm so I'm so impressed by you and 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 the fact that you 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 published this book um you know and you're an advocate um and you're educating us all about like you know in a way you're doing a dual service those in the punk scene and those with mental illness like yeah. those are two of the most like talked about you know back in the day they used to think punks were the bad boys and girls they were the troublemakers they were they were the ones who were you know um you know pulling out butterfly knives in in movies and you know those kinds of things so in a way what you're doing is i don't want to say normalizing is to is to connote that it was abnormal but in a way you are giving some street cred as they say an academic cred to credit to the to, you know to these dual scenes yeah for sure and, and when i first got out of the hospital the only two things that mattered to me were punk rock was my was my uh protector and then mental health was my you know, what I had to learn and what I had to kind of uh, figure out. And so those two things came together and I was like, well, I'm going to do a podcast, going to write a book, write it in my notebook. Of course, I got depressed and forgot about it for three months, but, <laughs> you know, it, it was there and it's what I kept coming back to. And uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a good intersection of uh, two different uh, communities that very much share a lot of uh, commonalities. That's very interesting that you say that you forgot about it for a few months while you were depressed. Because usually when we have people on who write, they're like, oh, I wrote in a manic moment and I wrote the entire book in two days. Yeah. You're like, uh, go back and fix your grammar. I mean, it's not style. It's just wrong. Um, yeah, no, this is amazing. And, you know, when we sat out to interview you, um, we didn't expect such a rich you know, history. Now, do you come from a family of like therapists and, and people who are in the mental health space? Or did you just do this based on the fact that you're just, this is lived experience and you're an advocate? Yeah, yeah. My family aren't involved with the mental health field. So when I was growing up and through my life, being a punk rock meant punk rocker meant to help people. You know, it was like, okay, I'm going to put on a show for you. I'm not going to make any money off this. I'm just going to do it. You're going to come to my house. You're going to eat food. It's all because I want to do this and it's altruistic and I believe in it. And I think when I was diagnosed, I realized, well, hey, wait a second, there's this whole mental health community and I can do the same thing there. So support groups, uh, all these things that I'm doing, it's just a way of giving back and, and it's not changed. It's still exactly the same idea. It's just that I'm now i got to put on shows and <laughs> do support groups. I've got twice as much work now, but uh, same idea, you know, helping people out. So where can people find your podcast? The podcast is uh, at ScreamTherapyHQ.com. So HQ is in headquarters. So ScreamTherapyHQ.com. And there's information there about pre-ordering the book and the podcast. And I think we have about 60 episodes now. Uh, so lots to dig into. Very nice. That's, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, 60 is quite the... Yeah. I mean, wow. That's quite the accomplishment um, in terms of um, of your work. What what what's next and 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 ultimately when you land this plane what does that look like for you are you know are you a mental health advocate are you just writing books or are you live in the viva loca in the italian countryside <laughs> uh all of the above i think <laughs> uh, you know i'm going to take a break from writing another book just because it's been such a thing and i have a i got to promote this one i'm going to be doing a little bit of touring around for that and i just really got to get uh, the promotion side going with this one and you know, do things like 
you know, like this, talking about it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not going anywhere. You know, it's still a punk. Will always be a punk. You know, I've been going to a punk festival in Florida for the last 10 years running, and I'm not going to stop going to punk shows. So that's not going away. Um, I'm always going to be a writer, and I'm always, you know, going to be a person that wants to help people. So I think it's just all of the above, and, you know, whatever way I can squeak out uh, what I love to do, kind of given up on the whole idea of quote-unquote career. Um, it just doesn't really work for me anymore. And I'm just piecing together the things that I love to do. That's awesome that you did that because sometimes when people get a diagnosis or something happens in their life where the career just doesn't look right anymore, right? It just doesn't fit anymore. There's very much a, I give up. Yeah, for sure. So, and then tell us a little more, I don't know if, you're, if your wife is a more of a private person, but you know, what's it been like for her in terms of managing bipolar? Managing my bipolar? Yes. <laughs> oh, God, I hope that she's not managing it. But uh, I think, she, yeah, like we talked about before, she definitely uh, was there to, to, she's been through the whole thing with me. Uh, you know, there are some times where she's very keenly aware of what episode I'm going through, whether it's depression or, or mania or in the middle. Um, and there's some times where I'm just like really high performing, performing wellness. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's 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 tough because you don't always want the person that you love the most to be saying what's the matter are you okay are you okay like I sometimes I don't want to burden her but also times I don't want to be asked because I'm feeling shitty and I don't want to talk about it so I feel the same a, way a, yeah it's kind of a weird dynamic but I think that you know ultimately you know we make it work and and I think it's gotten like I said before it's gotten better and better as as it goes and you know knock on my wooden bench here but uh, hopefully you know things will stay the way they have been and i'll be in stability uh, you know going forward yeah steven i i have horrible anxiety and i always think that everyone's mad at me so steven can um appreciate your not wanting to have somebody ask you what's wrong all the time because i ask him what's wrong all the time <laughs> as soon as we get up in the morning what's wrong what's wrong are you I mad at me what's wrong up, dear <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah, I'm tired. That's what's wrong. I'm tired. What's wrong? You didn't blow on my neck the right way. That's not the way you did it. No, that's not it. Hey, I'm hyper detailed. That's the best so, way that like. Do you have social media, or would you rather people go to your website to find you? Where, where, where can one find you? Yeah, the website would be great. I don't do social media. It was a huge part of my my uh, my breakdown and my ultimately my psychosis and my mania. So mm -hmm. kind of off that, but yeah, the screamtherapyhq.com website mm -hmm. is the best way to, to find me. And yeah. Really? Hopefully were you being triggered there. by other people's negativity or were they directing it towards you? Oh man, it was a, a bunch of stuff. It was a kind of a hornet's nest of, of uh, bad, bad mojo. <laughs> um, bad mojo. Yeah, you know, it, social, I feel like that too. Yeah. And, and it sucks that, that like... you know, one of the things that I said to explain it is, you know, social media, social media doesn't come with triggers or sorry, social media doesn't come with trigger warnings. So you go on no, there and it you see something and all of a sudden, you know, I get triggered by, you know, I went on a huge um, rampage about, uh, about sexual abuse because of my own history with that. And, you know, it started being like a full on, you know, what they call a social justice warrior. And I wasn't, you know, it wasn't myself, right? That wasn't me to be screaming at people. Um, so, yeah, I realized after the diagnosis that I was not fit for that. It didn't work for me and it wasn't healthy. And so I got, I got off, never went back. 
Well, good for you because it's hard to not be on social media nowadays, especially with having a podcast and trying to promote yourself. I'm sure you find that I would find that difficult because we do all of our promoting through social media. Yeah. I like person to person stuff. You know, I, I, there's, I don't know. For me, it's like you have time to breathe when you're not on there because of the, the white noise that, you know, it's all just a kind of white noise and background noise. And I think that sometimes, you know, doing a podcast like this and talking to folks like you is a lot more effective than entering that void of white noise. Um, so I'm very much comfortable with, you know, getting on the punk rock, you know, just doing it from a DIY perspective. And I don't need that stuff anymore. Wow. We should have had a punk rock song for the song. We of the should week. have. You know what? We, we, we're going to change this real quick. We're going to keep talking. Tell us one of your favorite songs. One of your favorite songs. Okay. Um, let's do Fugazi, F U G A Z I. And the band's the song's called Bad Mouth. There it is. All right. We're going to get that. Yeah. Because we right. had a song of the week, and I'm like, wait a minute. We should have had like a punk rock song. Yeah. That... For the punk rock This show. one's got a bit of reggae to it as well, Steven. So no kidding. Get in there. Yeah. A little bit. Reggae little from bit white out. guys. Not the same. <laughs> it's hey. not the same, but it is something at least. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's, you know, it, you know, you have to be diverse. I'm diverse. I mean, it's okay. My reggae can be can be diverse too. Um, oh, oh my! I, I hit the wrong button. Hold on. Yeah, that's me. That's every now and then you get. This is just what it's like with. Uh, so, but go ahead. Keep. So tell us about this song. Why? Why this song? Why do you like this song? Well, Fugazi are one of my favorite bands, if not my favorite band, and a lot of their songs are about personal politics. Uh, you know, political songs can be you know can be very. Um, dry sometimes or just too much and they really found the whole idea of you know the uh, personal is the political uh, bad mouth is about you know being yourself and, and not feeling like you have to uh, shit talk people you know it's, it's not cool to be talking about people and it, it basically brings you down it kind of puts you in a place where you're now poisoning yourself and that's what the song's about so it's kind of like positive punk in a way yeah because you know, most punk of the stuff a, I listen to is is has positive lyrics. Well, I, I imagine that if you became a social justice warrior, <laughs> you're not listening to negative lyrics. I hope. No. no. Yeah. No. Well, no. That's that's pretty cool. Um, let's see. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Are we doing proverbs? Everybody. Yeah. So we want Jason. Don't leave. We we'll do our next segment, which is proverb of the week. But everyone, I'll tell you this probably a couple times. Please pick up. Oh. Where can people find your book? It's on pre-order. Oh, it's on pre-order. Duh. You can actually pre-order it right now if you want to, anywhere that you buy books. Uh, okay. If you want to buy it directly from me and get my punk rock sig signature, a big black X, then you can get it from the ScreamTherapyHQ.com website. Sounds Very naughty. Nice. Big black X. <laughs> you are so wrong. Sounds naughty. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Jason, for joining us. Of course, Rebecca's going to do um, her proverb of the week. Okay, so it's an American proverb. We oh. haven't had an American proverb. Oh, did you ask the Canadian how they feel about that? Well, a monkey in silk is a monkey no less. I like that. That's that's like uh, you can you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. It's way too Steve Harvey <laughs> and the dude to play Planet of the Apes for me. Like it's just um, no, it's just, I have no clue can, what that means. You can dress up 
and try and pass yourself off as something that you're not, but you're always going to be you. So, I mean, if you it, look, look, if you're wearing a sl- silk pajamas, then you're just a monkey pimp. No. That's no, a you're pimp looking, monkey. You're looking at this wrong. Okay. I guess I'm wrong. All right. I'm sorry. So, you're saying it's like lipstick on a pig. Like, yeah. I'll dress so it up. A monkey in silk is still a monkey. Like, it's still a monkey. Like, we can dress it up, but it still is what it is. Mmm. That probably strong. You don't like the word monkey. No, I just, I'm having a hard time. <laughs> I'm having a hard time with that one. I don't know why. It's just maybe it's the day I'm having. Like, I have no idea. Uh, Jason, what does that mean for you? <laughs> well, there you go. Again, punk rock, right? I mean, you can dress somebody up in a business suit and a tie, but if they're a punk, they're a punk. Yeah. See? He, you know what? You're good, Jason. See? Wow. Smooth. Smooth. Yeah, that's super cool. All right. So um, I will say, well, then, you know what? I can say this. You know, this week at, at in my professional life, we had really tough discussions on like diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? And sometimes those are very triggering conversations to have because there are people talking about their lived experiences. Um, one person, one of my colleagues, said to said out loud, "You know, we can look good for people out in public, but on the inside, we're like this. It's chaos." It's- where we don't like each other or we're mad at each other and we're angry and i think the same thing goes for this proverb in all seriousness is is uh you know you you do like almost like what you said jason like you you know you're still a punk person you're still injured you're still that person you're still you and you can drag as much as you can but until you're dealing with your mess it's nasty it's still your mess is still messy it's just wrapped up in a silk in silk pajamas pajamas <laughs> You know, so very nice. I like that, babe. All right, that's good. That's <laughs> you know, good. I mean, you know, I get serious too. You know, um, I try. Look, if if in our lives managing mental illness and managing our lives and just every day, if you can't find a you way have to laugh, to have humor. you gotta have humor. You've you got gotta to. have humor. All right, all right. So um, let's see, Jason, you get to pick the song of the week that describes your mood, right? Or the song that you want to choose. Yep. Why don't you tell everybody what this song is that you chose? One more time. One more. This is Bad Mouth by Fugazi. Excellent. All right, so we're going to play it in its entirety. Thank you very much for joining us, Jason. Everyone, get his book, Scream Therapy. Please... um, listen to his podcast why don't you give a call out what's your back podcast name scream therapy. scream i want him to do sorry that. sorry my podcast <laughs> name is scream therapy <laughs> excellent <laughs> thank you uh thank you very much for spending this evening with us thank you for being on this this is a day earlier than we normally um uh record but this is when you could because you know everyone's super busy the show will release sunday at 8 a.m eastern time in the united states or eastern time even in canada uh thank you very much again for listening thank you jason so much for imparting your knowledge and also your journey with us and we look forward to continuing Continuing to build a community and telling stories over stigma. Do you want to say something for me? Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your music and your story with us. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Pleasure is all ours. Thank you very much. <laughs>